Hi everyone and welcome to Riskologists. This podcast is brought to you by Optimize and hosted by me, Pat Bradshaw. Optimize are thrilled to host this podcast series where we'll be speaking with some of risk management's most respected and esteemed thought leaders from across the UK and beyond. Throughout this series, we'll be exploring our guests' journey within risk management, as well as delving into their unique insights and invaluable first-hand experiences around some of the industry's most pressing topics. Our goal? To create a platform in which ideas and thoughts can be shared in order to inspire and educate our audience and to ultimately give back to the risk management community across the world. So without further ado, let's get into it. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of Riskologists. As always, I'm your host, Pat Bradshaw, and today delighted to be joined by Wes Cadby. Wes, thanks very much for coming on. Morning, Pat. Thank you. No problem at all. No problem at all. How was your uh, How was your podcast game? Have you done anything like this before? Or? Yeah, nailed it loads of times. <laughs> Water off a duck's back. I'm gonna say from your uh, from your DJ day, just spoken about it. Shouldn't be uh, shouldn't be too bad. But just to introduce Wes, so. For those of you, for those of you that aren't familiar, Wes has done some really amazing work with the IRM SIG over the past few years as chair. So I don't know if you just want to give give a bit of background on that, Wes, before we um, before we sort of introduce your career and stuff. Yeah, of course. So the uh, Institute of Risk Management has been going for a, for a number of years now. I became affiliated with it uh, back in 2010 as a um, as as a member. Um, undertook the qualifications and got very close into the. Uh, special interest group for infrastructure risk management. Um, started as a committee member probably about four years ago now, yeah. um, and then became the chair for for the last three years. So undertaking a number of events, uh, number of newsletters, number of research papers, and a lot of collaboration um, across the industry. So yeah, some really good work with the SIG. Nice, nice. Yeah, when well, I started in risk management in sort of this time last year, and uh, a lot of. A lot of my initial learning was sitting in on the SIGs and stuff. Has it all been virtual? I think it's all been virtual since I've been doing it anyway. Yeah, no, so the first first year that I was, was chair, which I think was 2018 now, um, we did uh, four physical events, networking events up and down the country. We did two nice. in London, uh, one in Manchester, and we did our first ever event in Birmingham uh, as well. And we covered a range of subjects from uh, quantitative risk management to risk management culture to a working group approach where we, you know, we had a group of probably about 30, 35 people all trying to discuss a single problem and come up with some kind of, you know, thought leadership and solutions. So it was, you know, that was, that was really good. Um, always helps that you can go for a cheeky beer afterwards with everyone who's, who's up for it. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, with everything that's happened over the last 18 months, we've been forced to go virtual, but yeah. we'll, we'll be back. We'll be back with some physical events in 2022, I think. Yeah, no, amazing. I um, I I hosted like a, a round table event series at the last company, and like you say, the virtual ones do work really well. But nothing better than than actually getting yeah, out and doing it face to face. The virtual ones are really they're just it's a big long presentation, but of interesting stuff and with some great speakers. But when you've got a physical event, you've got people who are engaging and they're challenging and being able to question, you know, live and things like that. And exactly. that's what we're missing at the minute. Exactly. Amazing. Thanks for that, Wes. So, as always, I think a logical place to start is um, a bit of a, a journey to date, really. So, a bit of a timeline of your career, how you got into risk management, your journey up to this point, and, and what your role entails now. So, yeah, fire away. Yeah, of course. So, uh, 41 and three months old now was the HR system at work. Kindly let me know <laughs> the, the other day. Um, so, in industry for about 20 years now. So, left university not really knowing what I wanted to be when I grow up. 
Um, took the first job I could, uh, which was a, a large um, infrastructure client, large UK infrastructure client, uh, managing the railways of, of the UK. And um, it was a, a data, uh, sorry, performance improvement manager role that I started with. So we were looking at root cause analysis of delay minutes um, across, across the rail network. Um, to support business cases so we could cost up what those delays cost in, in real terms and use them to support um, either capital expenditure um, for improvements in, in the infrastructure or OPEX expenditure through additional maintenance um, requirements or changing of maintenance schedules, for example, to improve asset reliability. Um, after a few years of, of, of doing that, sort of come to the end of it and needed to, needed to do something different. Um, so I became a project manager uh, in the infrastructure delivery part of the business uh, and did that for four years. So that, that was fantastic, uh, delivering uh, capital projects from huge bridges to power supplies to signaling systems to uh, track renewals and, and, and everything in between. Um, and then decided maybe it was, it was time to try something different. Um, and there was a particular project that I had that didn't go particularly well, and it was largely because I didn't manage a couple of risks particularly well. So one being a stakeholder management risk, a client stakeholder management risk, um, which is a very underrated uh, type of risk for me. It's not one that you see very often or people take seriously too much, but it's, it's quite often one of the biggest impacts reputationally. And the other one was something very simple, late delivery of materials. In this instance, a very critical piece of kit, uh, which caused the, the project to be delayed by a few months. And I thought, hmm, if I'd have known more about this risk management stuff, I'd have, uh, I'd have probably, probably stopped this. So um, so I decided to move into the, the risk and value management function as it was. Um, spent two years as an analyst in Birmingham. Um, Took to it quite well, got quite engaged with it, started my journey with the IRM and then uh, moved up to Manchester the first time I moved to Manchester uh, and led on the delivery of a, of a £1.8 billion um, capital investment uh, in the Manchester area. Nice. Um, uh, led on the risk management function for that. Uh, and then the final two years, so 14 years at this company, final two years moved to uh, Sunny Milton Keynes, the HQ, uh, to work on some of the strategy stuff, which is where we embedded uh, an enterprise risk management framework uh, for the business. Um, I then decided after 14 long years at this client, uh, huge infrastructure client, uh, I'll go and see how the other half live. And I decided to go into the supply chain. So um, moved to a tier one, a global tier one contractor, delivering everything from um, regulated works in the water industry, um, in the electrical industry, all the way through to the rail industry, the highways agency and things like that. Uh, and spent four, four years there. And then for the last 18 months, I think it is, um, I now work again back in the public sector, uh, working in the nuclear sector. So along that journey, obviously I became the, the chair of the SIG, uh, the infrastructure SIG for the IRM. I was lucky enough to be awarded Risk Manager of the Year Award back in 2018. I was going to give you a plug for that in a second. Yeah, I was going to wait for the round of applause, actually, <laughs> that, to be honest, um, which was you know really good recognition of what we'd done um, in trying to bring together. So the work I'd done on the SIG, but also the work that I'd done professionally with trying to bring together supply chain and client a bit closer, which is why we're talking about that, that subject today. Nice, nice. So 20 years in the industry. How many years in, in risk then? Sorry, Wes, would you so say 14? That would be 11 years in risk. 
Nice. Yeah, so I don't know. It still makes me feel a bit new, to be honest. <laughs> a bit young. Across three powerhouses of uh, Manchester, Birmingham, and, and Milton Keynes. Exactly. The entire West Coast main line. Nailed it. <laughs> Amazing. Cheers, Wes. So I think that, as you mentioned, leads us quite nicely into the topic, really. So as everyone can probably notice from the title of the episode, today we're going to be discussing the importance of risk management maturity in the supply chain. So just out of interest, Wes, um, obviously I give all my guests the, the option of, of what it is they want to discuss, whether it's something they've done at uni or a master's or there's something particularly passionate about. Why did you choose to, to discuss this and obviously why is it important? Um, I guess because I've seen both sides of the fence. So I've been the client, I've been the project manager that deals with the supply chain that's delivering Capital Works and I've seen it go well. You know, I delivered some fantastic projects and that was largely down to the competence of the the supplier. Uh, I delivered some terrible projects and that was again largely down to the behaviours and the the competence of the supplier. Um, When I moved into the supply chain, my entire... Um, my entire role, my entire objective was to increase the maturity of that organisation in yeah. terms of risk management um, as they were on an expansion plan at the time, you know, and, and all the, the risk that comes with that. They wanted to recognise the risks that they were taking on. Um, and it was, there, there were pockets of great practice and there were pockets of, you know, lack of understanding over what risk actually is other than slips, trips and falls, health and safety, you know, which is, is what people typically think of. Um, and because of the the, the the problem projects that I've been involved in and that I've seen, um, it would have been so much easier to deliver those and beneficial for both client and supplier. The supplier would have made margin and the client would have got their product delivered within within their constraints if they'd have just been collaboratively, collaboratively managing risk together. Yeah. Um, and that comes with ins- ensuring that both parties, the client and the supply chain, uh, are mature at being able to understand risk management and talk about risk. Okay, so would you say that the collaboration between the supply chain and risk management and and the client sorry is arguably one of the most fundamental reasons why projects fail the the lack of maturity there or yeah yeah what one of what are the key reasons absolutely um you know there's there's a number of reasons why that collaboration won't be there and that might be existing culture it might be as simple as the contract mechanism but being unable to to trust or collaborate or be open or be vulnerable with your client or vulnerable with your supplier um, is one of the biggest you know drawbacks to successful risk management for me. Okay, cool. So I guess just to give some of our listeners a little bit of context who may be completely unfamiliar with um, supply chain risk management or SCRM as it might be abbreviated to in the in the podcast notes, what is it? <laughs> what yeah, is it? So, in, so, in so whenever sense? I talk about this, I think um, sometimes people get. Not, not confused, but I think I'm about to talk about something different. So for, for me, supply chain risk management is where an organization understands the risks that are in their supply chain. So they'll have tier one suppliers, tier two suppliers, tier three suppliers. They'll know where the dependencies are between the tier three supply and the tier two or even the tier one, whether it's materials, whether it's service, whether it's products, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and they need to understand the risks to that flow of, of service or, or product uh, in addition, supply chain risk management is um, making sure you're not overexposed to a single supplier. So, you know, if if I was a large uh, infrastructure client and four years ago I had 75% of my portfolio awarded to Carillion, um, you can imagine actually I'm overexposed here yeah. uh, recognizing what, what happened with Carillion. Um, so that that's supply chain risk management. What I'm trying to focus on is the maturity of individual members of that supply chain to manage risks to the work that they are taking on, that they are delivering on behalf of a client. 
Um, so the client's responsibility to manage risks within their supply chain, absolutely. And I think a lot of clients do manage that quite well through their commercial and their procurement um, approaches. Yeah. Um, when it comes to formal risk management, understanding risks to the delivery of a project or a business venture, a partnership, or whatever it is, I still think that they are that you know there's a, there's a gap there that needs to be fixed. Okay, cool. So hopefully that gives um, that gives a little bit of context. So, in your opinion, then, Wes, why do you think it's so important that supply chains do have high risk management maturity? Um, mutual success or mutually assured destruction, really. Um, if you've got a supplier uh, that doesn't know how to manage risk or is scared of talking about risk and tries to paint a picture of green instead of the realistic picture of red, then um, you know projects are, are set up to fail uh, for, from the off. Um, for me, from a personal point of view, uh, the projects that didn't go particularly well for me, um, you know, it, it wasn't just. Uh, professionally I felt hurt you know mentally physically personally I, I felt hurt because um you know I, I thought I could do a better job than that you know it wasn't a good time uh, personally when you know your projects are delayed and everyone's looking at you to try and, uh, to try and bring it back yeah um, and I wouldn't want anyone else to go through that if there's an easily avoidable way of you know making sure that you're, you're set up for success um the other part of it is a, a client an infrastructure client do, <laughs> in terms of project delivery actually does very little the risk and the activity is delivered by the supply chain unless they've got in-house you know workforce you know they've got a um, um their own works delivery unit for example but largely infrastructure clients all they do is operate a contract that allows skilled suppliers to, to deliver work so the management of risk and the taking of risk is all done in the supply chain yeah you know, and we shouldn't be leaving that to chance okay so in your experience then how well do you feel that it's currently implemented in, in organizations and, and do you feel that there are any sectors that that do it better than others so obviously i know we've, we've discussed infrastructure predominantly but across like you know like rail aviation engineering construction that sort of stuff um so generally i've not seen it done very well i've not seen the the competencies of the supplier other than health and safety competencies yeah um or um you know quality uh, quality accreditations and project management competencies in terms of formal risk management competencies and not just qualifications but their their experience of applying formal risk management i haven't seen any industry um maybe bar the oil and gas industry who are, who are very good um, at risk management uh, certainly the, the analysis of risk um, I haven't seen anywhere that 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 takes on the responsibility of making sure there's a, there's a competent supply uh, supply chain in terms of risk management um, so so my my view is that you know large infrastructure clients or even not large infrastructure clients any infrastructure client um, just has an assumption that the contract apportions risk to the supply chain effectively now it does apportion risk to the supply chain effectively it also apportions risk to the client uh, effectively um, but a, a risk that happens in the supply chain it's very rare that that doesn't impact on the client somehow either reputationally or in terms of in terms of schedule yeah um, even if it doesn't have in, you know an impact in terms of cost um, so provisioning for risk uh, for the impact of a risk and the management of a risk they can be treated separately. Just because somebody else is paying for it doesn't mean you shouldn't help try and mitigate it. You know, if if you're not the one provisioning for it. Yeah. And I think that's where the collaboration piece comes in. I think people see um, the management of risk exactly the same as the provisioning for the impact of risk, and they're not they're not the same in many cases. The places I have seen 
um, the competencies, the risk management maturity of a supply chain taken into account are in uh, major projects and alliance structures or joint venture structures where okay. you've got, you know, a, a three or four year program. So I'm thinking like Crossrail, HS2, for example, um, you know, major infrastructure projects where the supplier is part of that decision making. They are part of that alliance. So it's not just client extent a contract and then the supply chain behind where they've got you know everybody's in it together and i think that breeds a, a culture of being able to be open and honest and really understand you know being able to collaboratively collaboratively manage risk so you know that's that's where i've seen it done well and i don't think that's specific to any particular sector you know anywhere there's a there's an alliance structure or a you know a joint venture or major project with a collaborative contract in place i think you know you you get you get the, that maturity yeah so in terms of, um, like you say, when clients and, and the supply chain obviously need to collaborate in terms of in terms of risk, how does it work and, and managing um, issues where, I, I don't know, you might have a client who's quite mature in risk management and they might be collaborating with a, a supply chain member that is relatively immature or vice versa. How do you find those sort of relationship pan out and, and, and have you dealt with any of those sort of situations in the past? Yeah, so um, so those relationships don't particularly pan out very well. Um, if the, In my experience, the, the, client, the, the infrastructure clients um, put a lot of emphasis on their own risk management. They, they can have quite large risk management functions, risk management teams. They invest in the competencies that are needed to be able to deliver quality uh, risk management outputs. Yeah. Uh, but there's an, then it, that's where it stops. There's an assumption that the supply chain have got that competence. You know, they're the experts. They're the um, they're the, the skilled workforce. They're the ones that know how to deliver works. That you know, we don't need to worry about their ability to to manage risk or identify risk or talk about risk. Um, and that is that that's a problem because then the supply chain potentially can just sort of wing it really and hope for the best and you know just just deal with it on the fly and that the client doesn't really see see any of that so you know they're, they're losing control over uh, over what the supply chain's doing if it's the other way around if the client isn't particularly mature and they're not taking it seriously enough the supply chain isn't going to take it seriously enough as well so it's only going to be the key drivers of the client that that give the supply chain the the objectives that they've got to deliver against you know that will always be health and safety if there's a focus on uh, protecting reputation they'll support in doing that if there's a focus on risk management they'll start to buy in and support doing that but if the client doesn't push it then the supply chain's not not going to bother if, it, if it's not a key if it's not a key requirement yeah um and that just breeds again like i say you know uh, an erratic uh, delivery you know if you don't you might be successful but i'd call that good luck rather than good good risk management yeah um so yeah that it needs the client to be driving the the risk management agenda perfect thanks for that wes so in terms of obviously supply chains having sort of varying levels of risk management risk management risk management maturity easy for me to say <laughs> why is that and, and what stops supply chains being mature in risk management um the it's it's never assessed or thought about by by the client you know there's no requirement for you to say how good you are at risk management there's an absolute requirement to say how good you are at health and safety and not hurting people and make you know letting people go home every day safely um, there is an absolute requirement to show you've got technical competencies for delivery of the works that you're trying to do as you'd expect and you know those are the right things to ask for but very very rarely have i ever seen anybody ask for um, information on what is your exposure to, to risk management how do you manage risk yeah uh, business risk or project risk um, and that 
that stops supply chains investing in that capability. They only invest in the capability that's being asked for by the tenders that, that they receive. Um, addition, the other things that stops people um, supply chains being mature is the, is the contract type. So I, when I was a project manager, um, there was a big focus on traditional lump sum fixed price yep. types of contract, uh, very adversarial contracts. Um, uh, naively, you assume that you are buying an output for a specific price and it won't cost you any more, yeah. uh, which, which is rubbish because any contractor worth his salt will sell the holes in the wishy-washy scope that's been delivered along with it yeah. and have recognized where they can increase the margin through change requests. And that sort of approach to a relationship, project management relationship, is, is not a healthy one. You won't talk about issues, you'll hide issues until you can't hide them anymore because um, you know cause they're, cause they're happening. And so I think um, ways to improve uh, upon that, uh, and I'll, I'll come on to the, um, uh, the one of the solutions for uh, engaging the suppliers early in a minute. But a key uh, a key way to open up that conversation is through a, a collaborative form of contract. So, for example, the NEC three, NEC four suite of contracts, which are inherently uh, collaborative in their nature, they promote collaboration or Rather, they, they sort of enforce collaboration in the fact that you're penalised if you don't talk about bad news quickly. Yeah. Um, if you don't tell someone of a potential issue, it can affect how much you can claim back for the impact of that particular issue or risk. Yeah. Uh, and vice versa. Um, if the client doesn't advise the supply chain of something that may delay them, then it may cost them more uh, in the long run. So there's an incentive to talk about bad news early. So promoting collaboration is probably a, um, a fluffy way of saying it. Um, Enforcing collaboration is probably a better way of saying it, but what that does do over the course of a project is just create that culture where it's just it's second nature to talk about bad news um, or good news for that matter. Yeah. You know, let's talk yeah. about threats and opportunities. Um, in which case, that culture is you know that becomes a habit then for the for the people that have worked in that project, and when they go on to a new project, they'll take that culture with them. So I think the contract type is an incredibly important. Um, way of making sure that risk management maturity uh, is effective how, how is that at the moment how is in terms of sort of that enforcement that, that you mentioned then how is that how does that look at the moment so i've over the last few years my only exposure to um infrastructure de delivery has been through collaborative contracts through the nec suite uh, yeah. particularly um which regardless of how many issues you raise it does get the issues out on the table early and it does allow you to proactively manage them and it does force the supply chain into a very uncomfortable spot if they've been used to a very adversarial way of trying to enhance margin yeah then um it moves them away from that because actually um you're incentivized to to manage risk proactively and that is you know is key for me if there's if there's a, a carrot on a stick at the end of managing risk people are going to do it you know especially then, if they like carrots but you know it might be <laughs> a bag of money or something like that but yeah. um, either way, incentivizing the um, um, proactive risk management within collaborative contracts is absolutely vital to its success. Otherwise, suppliers won't bother. Amazing. So I think I know we've touched upon it, um, albeit a little bit briefly already, risk management maturity being sort of you can't really assess a, a supply chain member on on the level of maturity. But is there a way that you can measure the maturity or, or determine what that looks like so something i'm particularly proud of in the past um is uh, it's, it's quite simple um and i think a lot of um 
infrastructure owners and, and clients could you know could use this and that's when they're looking at enterprise risk management that they actually recognize their supply chain is part of their enterprise you know they are they may be separated by a contract um you know it may be a call-off contract it may be a bespoke individual contract but either way they are part of their enterprise you only succeed in your business if that part of the enterprise is succeeding as well yeah um and to do that we included the we treated the supply chain as essentially one of our own and what I mean by that is when we were tendering out for work, um, I managed to include in the pre-qualification questionnaires, the PQQs, um, some reference, an unscored reference to what is their exposure to formal risk management? Have you been involved in facilitating risk work? You know, all those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, making it quite clear that it was an unscored part of, of the tender return, of the PQQ return, because I, don't, I didn't want people to to blag it essentially to try and say they were better than they were and the way we use that was completely separate of the tender assessments but to determine who are the ones that really know risk management they've been in and around it they've been in major projects they understand what a risk profile looks like how to quantify risk what exposure means into versus contingency um and then as if they were successful we would take on more of an assurance role. You know, yeah. we just assure the outputs, um, which for me is what a risk management function should be doing. You know, a, an organization should be mature enough to deliver its own risk management activity with the risk management function sitting in the second line of defense and assuring that it's that it's effective. Um, then there are other suppliers. Um, and one of the requirements that we had with, with a number of projects that we, that we um, was that we awarded a number of contracts to SMEs, so small and medium enterprises. Um, they won't have had chance to be exposed to, um, you know, large infrastructure projects and a formal risk management process. Yeah, and it's quite clear from the responses that, you know, they, they didn't really understand it. And that meant that the risk management function sort of sat in the first line and held their hand. So if they were successful, they got the training delivered through us as well at no expense to them. They got uh, facilitated workshops from the risk management function as well. And what that did was increase their maturity and their competencies. So eventually we could transition that responsibility back to them while they were delivering their part of the project. So it wasn't uh, you know, a particularly objective measure. It's quite a subjective measure, but it was an incredibly powerful one because it meant the big players in the industry, we could just assure the small players that we wanted to be part of the project delivery um, they could be they could be trained and they could have their competencies increased and their overall maturity increased um, so that they could be the best that they could be in the delivery of that as well so that they weren't on the back foot all the time you know they could they were able to share their worries through risk management yeah um, which you know worked fantastically amazing amazing is that assurance process like an industry standard now or is it something that is no just carried out internally it's you know there's, there's a, still there's a lot of client uh, organizations that that just don't take supply chain risk management maturity seriously. It's yeah. not a key driver for them. They want to know who can deliver the work competent-wise, who can not hurt people during it, and who can do it by the date that they want. You know, they don't look at how do they manage the risks that are going to stop them. So it's there's still a lot of work to do. Um, that was just a very um, bespoke intervention that we did, yeah. uh, but one that I found that was extremely effective extremely effective so yeah still a lot of work to do in the industry i think amazing i always say this when we speak about sort of contentious not necessarily contentious topics but stuff like this and be interesting to come back to these podcast episodes in like 10 20 years and and see i'll be long gone <laughs> <I'm in part. laughs> see where <laughs> about to 
Cool. So just on the on the measurement and and how you determine sort of supply chain risk management in a bit of like sort of pre reading for for this episode, where I read around certain maturity models that that can be utilised. Is, is that something that you've come across or used yourself at all in the past? Or? Yeah, absolutely. So I've, I always use every role I've ever been in. I've always uh, undertaken an assessment of risk management maturity. Um, initially, it's been just in the organisation that that I work in, uh, but obviously since I started um, talking about the maturity of the the supply chain and how a, important that is to successful project delivery and business delivery um i always included the supply chain as part of that um uh, as part of that maturity assessment typically only on the framework contracts we had because um i wasn't just going to go to a supplier we weren't in contract with and say tell us how good you are at at risk management they (laughs) they weren't up for that uh but with some of our framework suppliers that were eager to to continue delivering work with us um you know we would include them as as part of that um, so I've created my, my own maturity models in the past. Uh, I've used the the orange book approach. I've used standard, you know, ones that you find on the internet. They yeah. all pretty much of a muchness. Um, but I always like to include additional measurements of culture within those as well to really understand whether it is just the competencies that are missing or whether it's a you know it's a a complete lack of any kind of proactive risk management culture. Um, and they're really really useful because. When, the, when a client organization recognizes the importance of the supply chain's maturity and risk management, they have a vested interest invested in them to make them uh, to make them more competent, make them more mature. Um, and a lot of people don't like maturity models because it doesn't really tell you much other than you're a two or a three. Yeah. But that's a kind of, it's a bit of a, 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 a daft way to look at it for me, to be honest. Yeah. Because if you are a two and your board or your exec says, I want to be a four, it gives you it, it essentially gives you the roadmap of how to get there and the jump before the jump from one to two is a lot smaller than the jump from two to three and again three to four and if they really are convinced that they want to be to four the roadmap that comes off the back of that is you know it that that is what they are invested in you, you know the maturity model for me is a way to get the exec to agree and invest in risk management so it's not just about saying we're a two this year we're a three next year yeah it's about getting the buy-in from the senior leadership of any organization and within that you can include the supply chain and that may be like i say the provision of training it may be through facilitating some of their workshops for them so that you can you know you're getting a rounder picture yeah. of the risk profile rather than something that maybe you know they're not skilled at doing yeah. um and whatever way that takes the maturity model is, is an incredibly useful way to to do that amazing so that parameter that you mentioned that you tend to add around culture is that something that's normally absent in in most maturity models and and if so is did you feel they're a little bit less they're a bit, little, little bit more redundant without that parameter be, in place yeah I, I think so so they they often talk about um senior leadership involvement which has got a culture aspect to it yeah um have you got your process in place you know tick the box how good are those processes tick the box um the software or the system that you use to store data uh and then an assessment of each part of the risk management process you know and that's essentially it but for me you could have um the best competent you could have the best skilled people in the world you could have the best risk management software you could have the best processes in place but if you haven't got the culture all of it's you know it just doesn't work it just falls apart so i always add in um, elements of culture um, assessment um, recently refreshed a maturity model with uh, a young graduate of mine who was fantastic. Uh, and she challenged me on having an additional culture assessment and said, why aren't you putting culture in each and every assessment throughout that maturity? Um, 
and I really bought into that because it doesn't mean you can say I'm super mature at systems, um, not so mature at culture. Yeah, culture should be in through each one of those assessment measures, and that's what she um, that's what she proposed, and that's what we've put in place. So might be, more, might be more difficult to get a three or four now, but it's a much more rounded, beneficial three or four. So yeah, for me, culture within that maturity assessment, uh, even through to the supply chain, hundred percent important. Amazing. Yeah, I, I think since I joined Optimize, it was always been sort of drilled into me that culture, like you say, without um, without culture, you could have the best people in the room, you could have the best available information, but you can integrate it flawlessly, but if people aren't bought in, then what's the point? Um, amazing. Thanks, Wes. So just to round off, really. So for anybody who um, is listening to this, who may have had struggles with this and empathizes or just hadn't really come across it before, really, what recommendations would you give to clients and, and supply chains to put more focus and, and improve on their risk management maturity? Um, I think very simply, you know, the cl- client organizations need to recognize that the suppliers are part of their enterprise. They have a responsibility to make sure that the supplier has the, the ability to, to do their job. Yeah. I think for, for a, a number of years, and whether it's a generational thing or, um, you know, just a victim of the times when I was a PM where, you know, um, public spending perhaps was, you know, was, was heavily, heavily uh, scrutinized. It, it's always heavily scrutinized, but quite severely scrutinized when we were there we had fixed price lump sum you know we we tried to push everything down to the supply chain so we were risk-free we weren't taking any chances yeah um we can't we can't do that anymore you know projects are getting more uh, more complex projects are getting bigger um regardless of everything that's happened over the last 18 months um the for me the construction construction sector is booming you know there's more investment there's more suppliers uh, but coming with that, there's there's more insolvencies as well. So although the number of uh, the, the spend of, in infrastructure is going up, uh, the number of suppliers available is going up. The number of suppliers that are actually lo- um, you know winding them winding up now um, and becoming insolvent yeah. is um, um, is fa- is falling apart. Um, and that's because that the the sector isn't effectively collaboratively managing managing risks. So for me, clients have got. Um, a responsibility to hold the hands of their suppliers um, to ensure their own success, not just the not just the supplier's success. So, I think a key recommendation for me um, is that recognition that they are part of the the enterprise. They yeah. deserve as much competency development support when it comes to risk management as um, as their own internal internal risk management functions. And again, to be able to determine who needs that support, um, I'd recommend that approach that I took that I mentioned earlier, where uh, a question about their relative exposure, their relative application of risk management, um, is is part of the PQQ, but or part of the tender, um, whichever phase of the procurement it comes in, um, but an unscored part of it. Because for me, you know, you want the right behaviours. You don't want people to say, "Yeah, we can do loads of risk management. We'll smash it," and and they just, you know, they just can't perform. Um, so for me, understand where they are and offer them the development that gets them on a level playing field with the maturity of the client. Amazing. Yeah, I think that sort of answers um, of one's final question that I had that um, around supply chains being relatively immature around risk management. Does it come down to ignorance or is it just does it come down to just digging the heels in and not seeing the value really? I think um, it's no. So I mean, the supply chain. Everybody in every organisation, in every project, especially the supply chain, manage risk every day. Yeah. And there's a big difference between the management of risk and risk management, and the decisions that suppliers make every single day manage risk. You know, they're they're, they're experts at it. You know, yeah. some of the best 
project managers I've worked with uh, in uh, in my capacity as, as a risk management professional know exact can see a risk a mile off. Ask them to put it down in terms of cause, risk, and effect, and that they wouldn't have a clue. So yeah. you know you don't. It doesn't need to be a formal. Let's do a risk register with red, amber, greens, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, it just has to be linked. Yeah, there's there's a go between between the formality of it so that we understand where we are and not reducing the the application of their expertise. Um, so you know there's a, there's a big difference between stunting people's ability to manage um, and trying to get them to to complete risk profiles. So I don't think there's an ignorance at all. Um, I think or a lack of expertise, but I do think there's a lack of drive um, from largely from from the client side. And again, if the client isn't asking to see the competencies of the supply chain in terms of risk management, if they're not asking to see, show us where you've managed risk brilliantly and how you've done it and how you've done it collaboratively and how yeah. you've reported it and presented it, um, then the supply chain aren't going to invest in it. They're not going to invest in a capability that's not being asked for by a client. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of pressure on clients, I think, to say, show us how well you can manage manage risk. Amazing. Thanks for that, Wes. So hopefully our listeners have enjoyed it today and uh, I certainly have. I'll be honest, it wasn't something that I'd read or, or, or knew too much about before we sort of collaborated on it, Wes. So so yeah, amazing. Just to round things off then, as I do with all my guests, um, 20 years in the industry, 11 years in risk. Stop um, saying it. Stop saying it. <laughs> <laughs> if, um, if you could give yourself a piece of advice when you're at your start of your career that you know now that you didn't know then, what would that piece of advice be? Yeah, so I know, I know you tipped me off about this question, so I've been thinking about it. Now, <laughs> good, I could have good. gone for the easy, always ask questions or get involved in lots of stuff. I thought that's a bit soft. So I thought if I was going back to me 20 years ago, as you mentioned, if I was going back to me 20 years ago, um, I would be, I'd say it from a very selfish point of view, I'd say take as much development, as much training, as much um exposure to new learning that your employer will allow you to have so i've been very lucky to have been co- uh, completed the irm certificate and the irm's diploma which yeah. has now got me as a as a fellow of the institute of risk management Amazing. um and thankfully i've had some very supportive uh, employers in the past that have funded you know that route for me i probably wouldn't have done it otherwise um so yeah the one thing i would say is as soon as you start get your hands on as much development as possible that your employer will, will allow you to do yeah i'm, I'm also incredibly lucky that um the, the partners at Optimize are, are really passionate about about developing the learning and uh, developing my learning and and um, generating and developing the next generation. So um, so yeah, amazing. Last point, Wes. If if anybody wants to get in touch with you in regards to anything that we've mentioned today to pick your brains uh, or anything like that, or just to get in touch about any future SIG events, what would be the best way to get in touch? Uh, get me through LinkedIn. Uh, always happy for a chat during lockdown. I've only really ever talked to the dog, so it'd be nice to talk to <laughs> talk to some new people. Um, so yeah, uh, get me through LinkedIn, Wesley Cadby. You'll find me. There's anyone. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, um, just in case, I'll I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile in the podcast notes as well. But yeah, that wraps things up nicely. So Wes, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it, mate. Thanks very much for having me, Pat. Appreciate it. No worries. Take care. All the best. Bye bye. Bye. And that's it for this week. If you enjoyed this episode of Riskologists, be sure to follow Optimize on all of our social media channels where you can subscribe to this podcast and be notified of every episode so you don't miss a thing. Please like, share and leave reviews to help support us and increase our reach within the wider risk community. And join us next time where I'll be chatting with another leading figure in the world of risk. Until then, thanks a lot for listening and take it easy.